You are now listening to Zakaic Podcast, proclaiming Jesus as Savior, Healer, Sanctifier, and Coming King. A blessed morning to everyone. What a wonderful experience it is to be together with our fellow brethren, worshiping the Lord and honoring Him for who He really is, beholding Him for who He really is. And today I'm excited, excited because we are starting a new series entitled, When God Asks Questions. Because oftentimes it's people who ask questions, but there are instances in the scriptures where God Himself asks questions to His servants. And we will be starting it for one month. We'll be looking at this theme, this series. And I'm so excited from the very book of First Kings today, we will be looking at the experience of a character wherein this person who kept on following God was questioned by the Lord at one point of his life. Okay? Before we delve into the text, there is something that I have remembered when I was a student in Ebenezer. Uh, Dr. Ben De Jesus is here with us today. Hello, sir. Good morning. He was the president back then, but I, know, I don't know if he still remembers what happened. I was serving as one of the praise and worship leaders of the school. That time, we had a visitor coming from Manila, and he was tasked to speak during our chapel service. Every week, back then, there were two chapel services within the week. And though in one of those moments, we had a guest speaker from Metro Manila. The guest speaker requested for someone to sing a song. And the song was, there is no problem to be that God, that God cannot solve it. That, that was the song that was requested. And the pianist back then was, I think, Pastor Jande Blabrador, the senior pastor of Epil Alliance Evangelical Church this time. I was with him. We were in the praise team, and he was the one playing the keyboards or the piano, I think. And he told me, let's get this key, and then let's do it. Okay, I was excited already. We had our practice. I was ready. All the students were there along with the faculty and staff, and then the service started. I stood up at the pulpit, held the microphone, faced the rest of the worshipers inside the church, and the piano started with its beautiful sound. The music was so great. And I started singing. This is how I did it. I started singing the lyrics of the first stanza with the chorus natun. I didn't know how did it happen that way? I didn't know why I felt so nervous right at that moment. Singing the first stanza lyrics to the tune of the chorus. And that was really crazy. The rest of the people inside the church were wondering what happened to JR. And I was so ashamed. After the singing, I left the church, went to my dormitory's room and then never went out of my room for one week. Never I went out of my room for one week. I felt so bad with that experience that I had. I was so ashamed. I was so disappointed of myself that I didn't like to eat. I didn't like to show myself to anybody. And recalling that experience that I had would tell me even right at this moment, that even if you are a follower of God, even if you are a child of God, even if you are studying inside a seminary, even if you are 
in the second year already of your Bible school experience, there is a possibility of you going through something that is so discouraging that can even lead you to a very depressive moment. Being a Christian doesn't excuse you and me from going through depressive situations in life. That's a reality. And I'm sorry to say those words. Because sometimes we think that I'm a believer already, then I am excused from all of these things. No, not my brother, not my sister. We are not excused from all those realities in life. In fact, the very character that we will be looking at today is somebody who is perceived to be a very faithful follower of God. He was an instrument for God to display His enormous greatness and power. So let's look at this account this morning from the book of 1 Kings chapter 19. Open your Bibles with me. 1 Kings chapter 19, we will be tackling beginning with verse 1 up to verse 21 of the chapter. But for, to, to make the reading a bit shorter, we will only read from verse 9 to verse 16. 1 Kings chapter 19, for the reading, verses 9 to 16. The word of the Lord says, Then he came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord and the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So he said, Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by, and a great and strong wind was, wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face and his, his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Then he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant and torn down your altars and killed your prophets with a sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. The Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazael king over Aram, and Jehu the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place." May the good Lord bless the reading of this word. Elijah experienced a very depressive moment in his life. Now, before we delve into such a scenario in the life of Elijah, you know what? Back then, if you look at the previous chapters, he was painted by the author as an extraordinary prophet. If you're a prophet back then, you were already an extraordinary. So if you are an extraordinary prophet, there must be something in how you have been living your life as a servant of God. Why? Because looking at chapters 17 and 18, you would see how Elijah performed 
with the power of God, a lot of miracles. This was a very, very brave prophet of God that he wasn't afraid to stand even before the king and tell the king about the judgment that is about to come in the land of Israel. He told Ahab that, you know, a day will come that there will be no rain, not for weeks, not for months, but for years, there will be no rain until I would say the rain would come. He was so bold back then. His faith was exemplified in that manner that when he went to a widow's house, and the widow offered something to him. He said, you just keep on baking because the flour will never run off. And the oil that you have will never run dry. When he said it, it happened. That was the kind of prophet Elijah was. And you look at chapter 18. It was like the very peak of God's display of his power through Elijah. Why? Because there were prophets of Baal back then. And then they were in that moment of life that they wanted to make a decision who's the true God. Is it Baal or is it Yahweh, the God of Israel? And you know how they did it? One day Elijah challenged all the prophets of Baal and Asherah. He said, let's gather on Mount Carmel. We'll all go there. And here is the thing that we will do. You will offer to your God a sacrifice. I will offer to my God my sacrifice. If your God will come and consume your offering, and my God will not come and consume my offering, meaning to say, your God Baal is the one true God, and my God is false. However, if by the time you call your God and he does not respond to your call, and I will call my God and he will come and consume my offering, then the God of Israel is the one true God, and Baal is false. So the agreement was so clear. That day came, they all went there. About 400, more than 400 prophets of Baal and prophets of Asherah. They did the move first. So they had their offering and they started their rituals. Nothing happened. Ours had passed. They were calling to their God and he did not come and consume their offering. There was no response from Baal. Hours have passed, they did more and more of their rituals, still nothing happened. And so Elijah said, I think your God is not hearing you. It's time for me to make my offering. So they piled rocks all together and formed an altar. And then he placed the offering on top of it. They even poured water on the altar and made a drench surrounding the altar. And then he called his God. And God with all his might came and consumed the offering of Elijah. After that, all the prophets of Baal and Asherah were all slaughtered because of serving the false god. But that was like the peak of God's display of his power in the life of Elijah, right? Now you proceed to chapter 18. That was the last part of chapter 18, the contest on Mount Carmel. Now we, we enter chapter 19, and Ahab, who saw what happened on Mount Carmel, went back to his wife. Now, he had a wife named Jezebel. Okay? Maybe you have heard about this name before already, but that lady played a very significant role in the text that we are dealing right now. Jezebel was introduced in the book of 1 Kings chapter 16. He was introduced as the daughter of Eth Baal. Okay, And I want us to understand the meaning of these names that I have been mentioning to you. 
Ethbaal, the father of Jezebel, the word Eth actually is a preposition that can be translated to English with, and then Baal is the name of their ancient god. So, but by the name Ethbaal, it means with Baal. The father of Jezebel was already identified that he is worshiping that ancient god named Baal. The word Jezebel has also a very significant meaning in relation to their god. The word Jezebel literally means ex Baal exalts. Okay? So both the name of Jezebel's father and her name were directly related to Baal. This lady happened to become the wife of the king of Israel, Ahab. So Ahab, having witnessed what happened on Mount Carmel, he was excited. He went back home and said, Darling, you know something happened in Mount, on Mount Carmel? And Jezebel just listened to him. There were prophets that were gathered. The prophets of Baal, your prophets. The prophets of Asherah were all there. They were all there. And on the other side was Elijah. Both camps offered their sacrifice to God. And you know what happened, darling? When the prophets of Baal, your prophets, when they offered their offerings, nobody came to consume it. And yet when Elijah offered his offering, the God of Israel came and consumed it. Most probably, Elijah was expecting that that incident on Mount Carmel will become a pivotal point in the life of Jezebel that she would start letting go of her false god Baal and she will start following the God of Israel. That was supposedly what, that is what is expected out of the scenario. But what happened is this. Instead of doing that, instead of repenting, instead of saying, therefore I conclude, Baal is a false god. Now I believe the God of Israel. Instead of saying that, you know what, he, what she did? She said, I am going to kill that prophet of God who killed my prophets. By tomorrow, he's dead. That was the response of Jezebel. And so what happened next is that the message was brought to Elijah. Okay. Again, Elijah was painted in chapters 17 and 18 as a very bold prophet, a very fearsome prophet of God. He, doesn't, he, he wasn't afraid of anything. In chapter 19, Jezebel sent to him the message, I'm going to kill you. Tomorrow you'll be dead. And you know what? You know what happened to Elijah? Let's look at chapter 19, verses 1 to 3. Okay, starting with verse 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and even more, if I do not make your life as the life of the one of them by tomorrow about this time. And then what happened to Elijah? Verse 3. And he was afraid. Wait a minute. The prophet of God, with whom he displayed the epitome of his power, proving that he's the one true God, just by the message of this evil queen, he was afraid. 
and he rose and he ran away and he went to the wilderness. What was he doing? It doesn't make sense. He was so bold with his faith. Whatever he says out of the power of God, it happens. Even he can say to that to the king that there will be no rain for years, and just by my word, it would come again. And yet, just by the words of Jezebel, he was afraid. That's what is mentioned here in the text. He was afraid. He rose up and he ran to the wilderness. He even left his apprentice. What was he doing? How dare he run away from that threat? And he went to the wilderness. The text is very clear. He went to the wilderness just by himself. He was there by himself. He was afraid. What was he doing? He could have done something instead of running away. And added to that, the text would tell us that while he was there in the wilderness, he even said, I wish I am dead already. What was he doing? It doesn't make sense. He was running away from the threat of Jezebel because he was afraid. And now while he was in the wilderness, he was saying, I wish I'm dead. It doesn't make sense. Because if he's wishing that he's dead this time, why did he run away from Jezebel's threat? Right? Doesn't make sense. And he wished that he's dead already. And when he was there, he, he sat under a juniper tree. And the Lord sent an angel to attend to him. He was fed. And the angel told him, you continue with your journey for about 40 days. This food that you're eating right now is going to sustain you. And from the wilderness, he left that place and went where? Did he go to the king's palace? No. He went to the cave. He wasn't contented of being so isolated in the wilderness. He wanted to go somewhere that is enclosed. He was making himself so isolated. This is a huge human tendency. That when we go through a depressive moment of life, people tend to seclude themselves and hide from anybody and will stop doing what the person is supposed to do. What is he doing? He ran to the wilderness. He went to the cave. Isn't this a reality in your house that when someone is going through a depressive state, he will go inside his room, he will lock the door and would, would not talk to anybody. Sometimes would not even eat. Out of the upset, out of the disappointment, out of the fear that he felt, he did that. He was the prophet of God, the great one. In fact, he's mentioned even, even in the New Testament. You think about the law, you'll think about Moses. You think about prophets, you think about Elijah. No wonder when Jesus appeared to his disciples and walked with them during the transfiguration, there were three individuals who showed, this is in the New Testament already. Who were those? Moses that represent the law, and then Jesus, uh, Jesus and Elijah that represented the prophets. He's a great prophet of God, and yet now he's going through this depressive state. He hid himself inside the cave. A human tendency. It's never an excuse, and you are never excused, even if you are a believer. There's a possibility of going through this kind of moment 
in life. What was he doing? And when he was there in the cave, there was a strong wind that came. The wind even broke the rocks near the mountain. It was very strong. When we were studying in IGSL in Manila, and there was a typhoon back then, it was a first time for my wife to hear such a sound made by the wind. We were living on the third floor, and then you would literally hear the wind blowing. It was so strong, but it didn't break the windows. Elijah was there inside a cave, and then a strong wind came. It broke the stones. An extraordinary scenario. Elijah was so acquainted with extraordinary events in life because he was an instrument of God's display of his miracles. And then after the wind, the wind wasn't, God wasn't in the wind, the wind. And then there was an earthquake. It shook the whole ground. And then there was a fire, but God wasn't with the wind. God wasn't with the earthquake. God wasn't with the fire. And then there was a gentle blowing. Elijah recognized that God was with a gentle blowing. Elijah was so acquainted with great, marvelous things taking place. And yet, we know here that he still recognized God. He's, he knows God. He, he, he knows how to recognize the very presence of God in the midst of all those situations. He said, God is here in this gentle blowing. And so he wore his mantle and covered his face himself. Because the holiness of God is observed by the prophet. And yet when God was there, God started conversing with him. And just like the question that I have asked, what is he doing? What did God ask him? Look at verse 10 of chapter 19. God said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah started expressing what he felt inside. Lord, I have been very zealous for your work, for your kingdom. Very zealous. But what happened? Jezebel torn down all your altars. Jezebel not only torn down your altars, she built those altars that are honoring Baal and Asherah. And now added to that, he killed all the prophets. I am the only one left, and they are now running after me. It's so disappointing. In other words, he's there in isolation, not only because of fear. It was a mixture of fear, disappointment, discouragement. That was the moment in his life that we can translate in our time today when we question the situation and say, Kapuya ang kinabuhi, uy, ano yung unani man May pagmamatay. Have you heard someone saying those words? It's so tiresome. Life is just like this. It's over and over. And it's so depressive. Why? Because I don't feel any improvement. I don't see any progress. I feel so bad. And Elijah felt that very emotions dip with him out of the disappointments that he experienced. God, I know that you are the Lord of hosts. I have been very zealous for your work. But you see, all your altars are torn down. All the prophets are gone. I am the only one left. And actually, the readers would see that he is exaggerating. Because in the latter part of the chapter, you would see that God told him, 
Elijah, I preserved 7,000 people who never bowed down to Baal and who never kissed him. They are reserved for me only. And I know Elijah was aware about the other people who were living that were for God, not for Baal. But he was exaggerating. Why? Because as I have said, he is in that depressive state and a human tendency is that when we are in that particular moment, there is a possibility that we magnify the cause of our disappointment. There is a possibility that we magnify the cause of our discouragement until we feel that it's enveloping us already, that it's swallowing us up already. Have, I have heard a person saying, Pastor, I feel so bad with my situation today. Why? I don't have anything left with my bank account. And I ask further, why? Really as in zero? No, I only have 300,000 left this time. What? But the person is saying, I have nothing left with my bank account. Why? When we are in that depressive state, when we are emotionally down, there is a high tendency that we magnify the cause of our predicament. And Elijah said, there is no more left. I am the only one. Kay God basha, Who knows everything. And then after expressing that disappointment, you know what, Eli what God said to Elijah? Look at verse 13 and 14. God told him, what are you doing here, Elijah? For the second time around, God asked the question, What are you doing here, Elijah? And that question does not mean that God doesn't know about what he's doing. God knew vividly. There is no information that is hidden from God. He knew exactly what was happening. But he was giving that question to Elijah because he wanted him to realize about something. What is that something? That as he stands against Eth Baal, with Baal, that as he stands against Jezebel, Baal exalts, God asks him the question, what? are you doing here Elijah God could have asked him what are you doing here why does God have to mention the name of Elijah because that name in itself would remind him about the God that he worshiped you take the meaning of Elijah against the meaning of the name of Ethbaal and Jezebel Ethbaal with God Jezebel God Baal with Baal, Jezebel, Baal exalts, and now the name of Elijah is mentioned by God to remind him that Yahweh is my God or my God is Yahweh. So by the time that God asked the question, God wasn't just interrogating him, but God was wanting to remind him by mentioning his name, what are you doing here, Elijah? As Elijah heard the name that God uttered, as Elijah heard his name pronounced by God, it resonated in his heart and mind. What am I doing here? What am I doing here? Yes, the altars of Baal were there standing. The people of Israel were in apostasy. 
Jezebel was seemingly victorious with her campaign. Many prophets were already slaughtered. But Elijah was called by God to proclaim who God is. And now God is telling him, Elijah, what are you doing here? And that name resonates. My God is Yahweh. It reminds Elijah whose side is he standing. At Baal, with Baal, Jezebel, Baal exalts. They were standing at the side of Baal. And God was reminding Elijah, you are on my side. Have you forgotten that, Elijah? What are you doing here? I have called you to do something. And that is why after telling Elijah this question, he said to him, go out from the cave. Go out of the cave. And then when he was out of the cave, God revealed himself all the more to him and then told him, go back and anoint these two persons to become king of Aram and king of Israel and anoint Elisha to take your prophetic office. God reminded Elijah of whose side he stands. And I think every person who is in that kind of state must be reminded of the kind of God by which we stand our feet. Sometimes we feel that we are defeated already. Sometimes we feel that hope is gone. Sometimes we think there is nothing more that we can do. Sometimes we imagine that there is nobody who can help us. But God wants to remind all of us day by day, whether we are in the valley, where we, whether we are so down in our lives, He wants to remind all of us by whose side do we stand. We stand by the side of God. He is Yahweh and He is always victorious. A reminder for all of us. I may not be able to identify exactly the kind of cave where you are in right now. I may not be able to mention exactly the wilderness that, we, that you are walking through right at this moment. But God is calling every one of us today. What are you doing? What are you doing? You stand on the side of God. And that God is victorious. That God is powerful. That God will never leave you. That God will always be the most powerful one. That's why often we think of our ability. We think of what we can do. We think of what we have done. Just like Elijah maybe he was thinking about, I, I have done a lot of miracles in the past. He was thinking of who he really was. Because once you mentioned the name Elijah in the ancient time, people would say, wow, you're Elijah, you're great. Sometimes we think of our own greatness and think of who we are, but that doesn't really matter. What really matters is whose we are. Whose we are. With whose side do we stand? Whose? W-H-O-S-E. Whom we belong. To whom we belong. And God is telling everyone, even until today, I think that's me that message resonates. You belong to me. You may be in this depressive state. You may be in the wilderness. You may be in a cave right now. What are you doing? Because God was reminding Elijah that Yahweh is his God or God, my God is Yahweh. It was a very personal revelation 
to Elijah. And I am praying that even if we are in that kind of dark moment of our life, may we all be reminded every day by God that He is our God and we stand by His side. And that God is the God of victory. After consoling Elijah, God told him, Elijah, I have preserved 7,000. 7,000 who have never bowed down and kissed Baal. They are reserved for me. What God was trying to show to him is that you're wrong when you said you are alone. There are people around you, and more than anything else, I am with you. Go out of the cave where you are in right now. Maybe you have been in the wilderness. Listen to the voice of God telling you, you are on the winning side. And God is reminding every one of us today, you know, because we easily forget. We will culminate this message today with a communion service. Whenever we look at the table, it says, in remembrance of me. Is Jesus insecure that he wants his people to remember him always? No. God set the communion or the last supper for us to remember him, not because he is insecure and he wants to be remembered. He set this up that we may remember him because we need to be reminded. And every time we partake the elements, it reminds us not only of who we are, but whose we are. We belong to God. We are the redeemed. We are the church of Christ. We are the sons and daughters of the living God. Move out of the cave. Run away from the wilderness because God is going to do something through your life. God bless us all and good morning. You just heard the message from Zumbuanga City Alliance Evangelical Church. We hope that it will help you in your journey with the Lord Jesus Christ. For more updates, you can follow us in our social media platforms in Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Zekai Ministries. See you there!